Rory, we are back in our natural habitat, the dark, dingy world of a radio booth <laughs> after putting our mugs in front of the camera one week ago, which I think went pretty well, but it's I nice so. to be back where we belong, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think... Hidden uh, from the public. <laughs> our, our, our listeners are happy. They don't have to look at us anymore, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it, w- it was a lot of fun. We will, of course... It was great. Yeah. We're hoping to do lots more in... Uh, in the digital realm on camera. So watch for that tape to tape listeners and viewers and uh, go to YouTube and find Rory and I talking about the trade deadline because it's still kind of all relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, about a week ago, a little more than a week ago, our first pod since then, because you were doing everyone's least favorite activity, moving Ugh. last Thursday. It's, fun, fun, fun. It's just the worst. I mean, it really is the worst. It, it is. It You know, you, you Good I, felt like, I felt like we planned enough for it. We had put things in boxes. Everything was as organized as we could get it. And then the day comes and it. You know, I shouldn't complain. It did go relatively smoothly, but it's just such a pain in the butt to actually have to get it all over there. And then once you get it all over there, unpack it again. And that's that's still a work in progress. Full disclosure, (laughs) I actually don't mind the grunt work of like carrying things from A to B. What I can't handle is the packing up delicately and the I have no time for that. I can move the box from here to there, but the rest of it. I'm out. Yes, that, that that's ironically enough the easy part yes. is the lifting. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to talk about the easy part and uh the hard part here coming up for some playoff teams trying to get into the Eastern Conference playoffs. The the easy aspect is for the teams that have kind of already punched their ticket that are more or less home and cooled. We're looking at the, of course, Tampa Bay Lightning and the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Boston Bruins, and more or less the Islanders and Caps. We are going to examine what state those are in, really focus on the Leafs Bruins because we know those two teams are rocketing toward another first round series and are already messing with each other. Thanks to Brad Marchand. The hard part is going to be for those teams on the bubble, Pittsburgh, Carolina, Columbus, Montreal, one of those clubs is going to get squeezed out. So we're going to spend another segment examining each of those teams' chances and probably linger on Columbus because I really do think, I have to say the Blue Jackets are the the most fascinating team because they went all mm-hmm. in at that deadline. And so far, there hasn't been a huge payoff from those moves and uh, it's not quite the 11th hour yet, but we are quickly getting there. But before we get into some playoff chatter, Rory, got to talk about some goalies. Uh, Carey Price, his next win for the Montreal Canadiens, he will surpass Jacques Plante for the franchise lead in wins. Marc-Andre Fleury tied Mr. Plante for eighth all-time when he got his 437th win. Fleury having a really nice season in Vegas. I thought that might be a jumping off point to talk about what would seem to be a pretty wide open Vezina race. A lot of people would have flurry certainly in the conversation, maybe at the top. You are not one of those people though. Not a good week for Jacques Plant. First no. of all, <laughs> what's, what's going Jake on? Everybody's snake. going after Jacques Plant. Um, yeah, I mean, Fleury's having a great season and, and I think he's going to end up as one of the three Vesna finalists because he leads the league in wins. He leads the league in, in shutouts. And traditionally 
these are the measures you look at when you're trying to pick out who's going to win your Vezina. But I think it's also important to consider the number of games he's started. 57 so far. Second in the league is Devin Dubnik at 54, and then it goes down again from that to 51 for Jacob Markstrom and Carey Price. So there's a wide gap in just opportunities that Fleury has had over. But don't you get credit for doing a lot of work? I mean, y- y- sure. You deserve credit for staying healthy and for taking on that kind of workload, I guess. But um, I-, I think then when you're, if you're going to also then award the guy for having the most shutouts, that that's where you have to look at this thing in context. Yes. He leads the league with, with eight shutouts and he's got a two shutout lead over Andre Vasilevsky. Who's played 15 fewer games than him. So does that give Vasilevsky, you know, his per game rate is much higher. So I think that's where the importance of just taking all this into, into context comes into play. Um, his save percentage too is, is pretty, it's, it's above league average, but it's down pretty pedestrian. Yeah. Nine twelve save percentage. If you look at some of these other goalies, that I think should be in the running um, against him in the Vesna. You know, you're talking about Andre Vasilevsky at 931. I think Ben Bishop is a guy really flying under the radar. The only thing working against him might be the number of games played might not actually be enough yet. He's got a 928 save percentage. I know Freddie Anderson, 923 save percentage. All these guys are stopping the puck at very high rates. And even if you drill just a little bit deeper context-wise into where these shots are coming from, high danger save percentage, um, all these goalies that should be up against Flurry in the Vezina race rank very highly. Flurry himself, again, an 805 high danger save percentage has him seven percentage points below Cam Talbot, two percentage points above Jonathan Quick. So in terms of those really in front of the net shots, the the, the best shots against that you can face, and this is the measure that is, is the best way to measure a goalie over a prolonged period of time. Flurry again, is a step below the pack. So I think by the end of it, there's going to be a very strong case for Andre Vasilevsky that I hope just the strength of his team doesn't work against him. I really think Freddie Anderson needs to be in on this. If Bishop plays enough games the rest of the way, maybe he's a late entrant. But again, just looking at all these other goalies in the mix, I think that's where the games played work against Fleury a little bit. And so right now I would have him maybe fourth or fifth on my ballot, but come the end of the season, He's going to have those traditional numbers, and so that's why I think it doesn't really matter. He will end up as one of your top three. Strange statistical anomaly here. The third, fourth, and fifth best save percentage belong to Thomas Grice at three, Robin Leonard at four, Yaroslav Halak at five. Two (laughs) Islanders goalies and a former Islanders goalie. So we want to say like, oh, well, it's uh, Barry Trotz's new system. That's what has allowed these guys in Long Island to flourish. Well, Yarrow Halak just had to leave and go play for uh, the Bruins, and that also uh, drove his numbers up. So I guess, I mean, it, it certainly was tough uh, in, in previous years with the amount of shots the Islanders gave up. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, you wouldn't necessarily expect to see those names there. I mean, Robin Leonard probably always had some bounce, pa- bounce back potential that sure. is, but um, fantastic to see him yeah, yeah, putting it together to this degree. And, I mean, Grice is a percentage point higher. When you add it all up, is Vasilevsky your guy, or where do you think? I mean, it still feels pretty wide open. It, it is wide open. If I'm, if I'm voting for it right now, it's probably Vasilevsky is my guy. I, I think that Anderson is going to give him a really strong push here. Again, there, there's still you know, 15, 16 games, whatever there are left in the, in the regular season here, there's a lot of movement because nobody's running away with no. it yet. So um, 
Anderson, like, I feel yeah. like there's a, you can, you can kind of poke some holes in everyone else's case. And in a lot of cases, it is the games played. Anderson does seem to sort of, he's not, he's not killing it in any one category, but he scores well across the board. And, and that's just it. Yeah. And, and the fact that, you know, you could make the case that he is the Toronto Maple Leafs MVP. Sure. I've um, made it oftentimes. Yeah. I pose so- the question all the time. Who would they rather play? a seven game series with without you know Austin Matthews yep John Tavares or Freddie Anderson I mean you answer that question fast yes it is not ideal to play without Matthews or Tavares but you could win that series you could beat the Bruins without one of those guys yes it's conceivable yeah but if you're going with you're Derek Sparks winning <laughs> anything without Freddie Anderson agreed completely and and that's probably not a factor when you're thinking about the Vez or when you're sure. thinking about the Vez you're but not thinking did- oh what is he the MVP of his team or not but you know and Vasilevsky does benefit from having the team in front of him but but he is very much established as an elite goalie. He's done it since he stepped into that crease. And just like Kutrov, like we were talking on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, I think the time has come where it's got to stop holding it against these guys for sure. awards that their team is good because they're good because the players, the guys who are leading the way, Vasilevsky, Kucherov, even John Cooper for the Jack Adams, they're good at what they do. Yeah. yeah. You know, I obviously acknowledge that all teams are in trouble if they lose their number ones, or many of them. It is not an ideal scenario, but it is just worth reinforcing because with the Leafs, the conversation always revolves around the other high-end, super-skilled guys. Yeah. We've come to devalue goaltending. Don't draft goalies high. Don't pay the money. Well, look, at the end of the day, the Leafs would be Leaf fans would be not sleeping through the night if Freddie Anderson was all of a sudden not available, and it's worth reinforcing that point. Yeah, I think. as they say, goalies are voodoo. You never sure. know where the next great. No one saw Jordan Binnington coming. You don't know when the guy's going to catch fire, and if he does, how long that's going to last for. If it is, is it, it going to fizzle out or not? But it doesn't the, mean the it's best still not. goalies. Yeah, the best <laughs> goalies are the ones that. You go into the season, and you know what he's going to get you. Yeah. And Vasilevsky and Anderson are very well established in that regard. Absolutely. Speaking of goalies, one of them not happy with the shootout technique of one Ryan Johansson. Devin Dubnik <laughs> had some things to say. A little pissy about the way Johansson comes into the slot, then really, really slows up. Dubnik accused him of stopping, which, of course, he can't do. Mm-hmm. The reality is he still kind of creeps along there, but... I mean, let's face it, it's just never fun to be scored on in that one-on-one situation, and it seems like Dubnik was just blowing off a little steam there. Yeah, it was back-to-back losses for Minnesota in the shootout against Nashville, and Johansson scores both of the shootout winners. Alex Stalock had started the the first one, and Dubnik lost the, the second one there. And I thought it was funny in that quote where he says, how can he stop and make a move at the crease and look at me in the face while he's shooting it in? And I found it funny because... It does look like he is kind of looking at Dubnik while he's shooting it in, and he's got him completely beat. But it's very clear he did not stop. And the rule book says that you know it, it is the puck that needs to move forward. It's not so much your skates. The puck is always having to be in motion. And and to me, I couldn't see where it didn't. And and it was the two goals were both kind of controversial in you know from a Minnesota Wild perspective, and that the goal on Staylock where he deked him out. Stalock had protested that Johansson had pushed his pad into yes. the net. I think he was just finishing off the move. He had him. Beat. That was what I thought too. I yeah, saw it in the moment too. Exactly. And then with Dubnik again, like it just, he came in so slowly. And my takeaway was, has Devin Dubnik, did he never see Jason Allison take a shoot? 
you know, Patrick Kane has done this that was a couple Jason, of times. That wasn't Jason Allison changing gears. That's just how fast <laughs> the man skated. That's how fast he goes. Yeah. Patrick Kane has done a number of times. I looked up and I had totally forgotten, you know, Dan Boyle had got a lot of attention for doing oh, a yeah. shooter movie. He moved really slowly on. I think it was 2012 or something like that. So this is nothing new. And I know the league got rid of the spinorama move that you could do in a shooter a couple of years ago. Mason Raymond's oh, move yes. was the big controversial one there. So you can't do that. But as long as you're still moving forward with the puck, everything is legal. Go as slow as you want. And as far as I could tell, there was nothing off base there. It's funny. A goalie like Dubnik watches that and accuses him of cheating Johansson. I look at it. I'm like, how come everyone can't do that? How come I can't do that? Why don't I do that? And you just stop and then just move one way and it's that easy. Come on. Johansson was saying after the game too, he's like, look, I've tried a bunch of things in my career. This is finally working. I'm sticking with it. (laughs) Don't try and shut it down, man. All right. Well, that is enough on the uh, the masked men. It is going to be a fascinating Vezina race. And yes, with a, a few weeks ago, still up for grabs. Also up for grabs, some Eastern Conference playoff bursts. We're going to talk about the teams competing for those final bursts. But first, we're going to look at the teams that have pretty much nailed theirs down. And some, two in particular, that are already eyeing each other for a first round matchup. Coming up. Toronto Boston talk on the other side of the break on tape to tape. The tape to tape podcast is brought to you by the next generation GMC Sierra Denali complete with the world's first six function multi-pro tailgate net sliding around on the way to pond hockey. Use the built-in load stop to help keep them in place. Loading what seems like half a team's worth of bags The tailgate also turns into a step for easier access and has an inner gate that flips down for unloading all the gear you can fit. GMC Sierra Denali. We are professional grade. I think it was a it was a master troll job to say the least. You have to respect that element of it and for my end I think the part that uh, that I liked about it was that you know, there's over a 90% chance we're going to play them in the playoffs if you just take the probabilities of it. And so that he woke up in the morning of a game day and was thinking about the Toronto Maple Leafs, I thought was uh, I thought was a positive thing. Rory, sometimes it's just worth sitting back and reminding ourselves we live in an era where the Toronto Maple Leafs are run by a guy who knows the term master troll job. <laughs> <laughs> and it was that. Brad Marchand, one of the few players who would go out and tweet Something along the lines of, let's just call it up right here. I can't wait to see this kid's new deal, dot, 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 12 mil AAV. It better be hashtag Marner watch. There he is, Brad Marchand. You can always count on him to stir the pot and try and drive up the payroll of Boston's, I guess you'd say biggest rival right now, the Toronto Maple Mm -hmm. Leafs, because as Mr. Kyle Dubas mentioned in the clip you heard, there's about a 90% chance these two teams, I mean, it's, it's, for these purposes, it's a 100% chance yes. they're going to play each other yes. in the first round. It's just a matter of who gets home ice. Is this the kind of thing that makes you even more excited to see that rematch? It, yeah, when Brad Marchand isn't elbowing a player I like in the face, or any player really, or doing true. something we, dumb, is, I like him. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> you know, like... And I love how he played this too, because obviously it's a troll job. $12 million AAV for Mitch Marner makes him the highest paid Maple Leaf against the cap, makes him 
a million and a half dollars higher paid than Patrick Kane, who's the highest paid winger in the league right and, now. And That's probably, not happening. And probably twice as much money as Brad Marshall makes, who <laughs> to right. this point, you could probably argue is still a better player, right? Better goal scorer. It, it's probably around Brad Marshall and David Pasternak together. It is, yeah. That, so, uh, yeah, a little less. He's so. just looking out for his PA brother, right? It's amazing. I mean, when he was asked about that tweet after their game against the Carolina Hurricanes slash Hartford Whalers that they uh, were able to pull away with a win. Uh, he said, oh, people misread it. It was a little overblown or whatever. And and obviously, <laughs> he, here goes Brad Marchand again. He's, ju- he's just grinding the gears of the Toronto Maple Leafs. I loved Dubas's response to it, too, that he's waking up in the morning thinking of the Toronto Maple Leafs. He likes that. Um, I just absolutely I, yes. It, it, well done by Dubas to at yeah. least gently give it back a little. Yeah. Now it's time for the players to bring it back, right? I want to. I want to hear uh, Austin Matthews quip or uh, Mitch Marner sure. or somebody, Ron Hainsey, whoever the heck wants to do it. Maybe it's a little bit too early. Maybe you don't want to give somebody uh, bulletin board material or whatever, but. I think it's so fun and so interesting that the foundation is starting to be laid for, you know, the the talking that can go on, the posturing that could go on in a playoff series between these two teams. When it finally happens, you know, the on ice intensity is going to be very, very high. The Bruins have again, bulked up adding a couple of big bodies to that lineup. So they're going to bring that style of game. Toronto didn't Toronto went the opposite way at the trade deadline. Does that matter? I mean, Mike Babcock's already not happy with the lineup that he put out there in Vancouver with Patan on the fourth line. Babcock thinks Gauthier is essential to you. No, I don't. I, I think you got to try and look for some kind of inefficiency uh, in the Bruins lineup and take advantage of that. And with Bruins hockey being bang and crash and them doubling down on that this trade season, getting Charlie Coyle, Marcus Johansson, not so much, but he's out of the lineup now again anyways. Um, I think for Toronto, if you're going to come back and you can just throw four lines of speed and skill at them when your goalies are pretty even, your defense is, I think, relatively even. Boston's depth isn't always all there, and they have injury problems themselves. Um, I think that that might be a path to try and, and win this. If you know, Freddie Goche is not somebody you're leaning on for key penalty kill minutes, I don't think. I think those, those key players come from uh, elsewhere in your lineup, and they're also highly skilled players for you. Your fourth line then becomes three guys who you're playing, I don't know, between eight and 10 minutes, maybe even less than that. If the playoffs come and you want to play Austin Matthews higher in the line or more minutes, I should say that everybody's calling for you play them eight minutes or so. And all you want to get out of them is some, some pressure. If they can play with speed and maybe tire out these guys, if they can maybe add a goal and add a little bit of something to just keep the, the puck in Boston's end or to, to keep the ice tilted in Boston's uh, against Boston. I think that's kind of something that, that you have to explore and, and maybe it happens. You come out and, and game one, they get dominated by the more physical Bruins. And at that, in that case, you maybe you, you go back and, and, and rethink things, but to give up on that after one regular season game, I don't think is the best move. I think Goche and, and all that, you know, needing the big body on the fourth line has been tried up and down to mixed reviews. I think it's worth at least a longer look that fourth line that he tried against the Canucks just to see even against better competition than just Vancouver, what that line is fully capable of. Is home ice essential for the Leafs? I, I don't think so. Okay. I, I, I kind of think that, 
I mean, you'd rather have it, but I think that whole thing is not what it used to be, right? Like you're, there's no distinct advantage of playing at home. There's no, there's nothing about the arena that's so different from the other or the dressing room or whatever. I think the preference is always that you want to play at home. Um, but I think that the Bruins and the Leafs are so close to each other in terms of their ability and what kinds of teams they are that the difference to me and how the series is going to go is going to be something like some one team's power play is better or one team is scoring more at five on five or one team's goalie got a little bit more hot. I don't think it's really going to come down to who has home ice. If we put all the, the players on both teams on a board and we are going to hold a draft for a seven game series position by position and you had the first oh pick of centers. Yeah, I noticed. Yeah. Go. Yikes. That's so hard, isn't it? <laughs> um, you know what? I just, it's, I'll, I'll tell you who my two choices are between. It's not Austin Matthews. It's John Tavares or Patrice Bergeron. Um, and I, I think, man, I mean, I saw as a Florida Panthers fan, I saw John Tavares in the limited playoff experience he got with the New York Islanders, completely take over that series and eventually score the overtime winner in game six to move on. So I think he's got that in him. Uh, but, I, oh, man, I think I got to go with Bergeron because he's got the track record, it's, you know? That, that, that's, that's what it's between. It's still though. a mental block for people to think this guy who just isn't... I mean, John Tavares actually isn't the flashiest player. He's no, very sturdy, yes. right? And I remember having conversations with Leaf Buddy friends being like, he's not, you know, don't don't think he's going to blow your hair back. No. And I mean that as a good thing, sure. right? Yep. But Patrice Bergeron is the ultimate example of that. Like, exactly. look, man, it's not going to jump off the page, but he is going to do every last thing right. And we've just seen with him in the middle of that line the last couple of years. Now he's a better than point per game player for all the hullabaloo about Tavares and Matthews. You take Bergeron first. Yeah. And I think the best way to really put that argument in somebody's face that John Tavares is so great, but not so flashy is that all the talk is about how great of a season Mitch Marner is having. And he is running away with the team scoring lead. But I really think a lot of that increased success that he's had has had to do with playing with John Tavares sure. and how he set him up and how he's, you know, been such a good two-way player. I mean, Mitch Marner is getting some selkie buzz. I don't, I think there are other wingers that have got to get it before he would, but nobody's talking about John Tavares being a strong defensive player on that line too. And what he's created for Marner, Marner's got the speed and the flash and you're going to notice him taking away pucks in the offensive or defensive zone. Tavares is a lot more subtle and I and I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but I don't think Marner is having as electric of an offensive season as he had. I think he's still going to be great without John Tavares, but is he 81 points in 66 games? Great. I, I don't think without John Tavares that Marner is there. I think Tavares has done a lot to lift him. All right. Let's touch on the three other teams that are going to make the playoffs uh, in, in the case of one basically already clinched Tampa Bay, and Washington, New York, one of those teams is going to win the Metro. The other you would think would finish second. We won't spend much time on them. And you know what? We'll even set Tampa aside because we've got to spend a proper segment yes. on them before the season ends. But um, maybe just a quick word on Tampa. And then just does anything stand out one way or the other, good or bad, but Washington, New York, or the Bolts? So, well... I mean, nothing bad about the Bolts. Tampa, but. yeah. What wrong... What, what can you say that's bad about this team? I, I think... 
<laughs> I, I, okay, so Boston goes on this crazy run you were talking about it before yes. the show, where they've gone 17 games in a row with getting at least a point. Yeah. 13 wins. It's I think the 13 0 and 4 going back to late January. And they have not made up a single point on the Tampa it's Bay Lightning in that time. It's That's crazy. absolutely ridiculous. And we know the high end talent that they have. We've talked about Vasilevsky and Kucherov. Stamkos is there and everything like that. But how about Matthew Joseph, who plays on the fourth line and hasn't played a ton of games even comparatively? And when he does play, he's usually between 8 and 10 minutes a game, really. And he's still top 20, I think, in goals per 60 minutes. And that's a stat that I use at the end of the season to kind of say, okay, who are the breakout candidates for next year? And it's the one that I, that I used to look at Andre Cash as a guy. And he was he was going to do that until an injury set back uh, his season again. Um Matthew Joseph is very strong in that measure. And so it's just another guy like you don't have enough in your lineup. You also have to have this player who you think given more opportunity is going to jump off the lineup. So there's just absolutely nothing that you can say about this team that would knock them. I mean, I already know that I have to pick them to win the Stanley Cup because there's there's no weakness there. Um, I like the way Washington is trending and it's kind of following a similar path to last season they did have a better february this year than they had last season but they've won five games in a row now and if you think back in in 2018 they had a very strong finish in march and april that they took into the playoffs and the biggest difference this year is that Braden holpe is right on top of his game there's no chance at this point that he's going to walk into the playoffs seeding the number one job to his backup he's the guy He's what we thought he was. He's regained that form again, I think, to to a large degree. And Tom Wilson is carrying that success, the, the big body guy who can also put in goals. You know, Alex Ovechkin probably is going to win the Rocket Richard Trophy again this year. They added to their defense. You know, Nick Jensen is the Michael Kempney-type addition you hope for this season. And and it seems like any worries about any kind of cup hangover has kind of passed them by, and, and they're, they're trending up, and they have even passed the New York Islanders here in the standings recently. The Islanders, I'm, I might end up picking the Islanders to lose in the first round of the playoffs. It's just... How do you? No respect. I, I mean, but but I you look who they're who they might play against. If they play against Carolina, it's a team that for years has been they do a lot of stuff well. Right. They don't have goaltending. They don't score enough Hasn't goals. And now the, all that is falling into place. And they're they're coming on and they're catching fire. So if they play Carolina, I think there's a lot of reasons to pick Carolina. Or they could play Pittsburgh and. Self-explanatory. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the, the Islanders are going through a little bit of a, a rough stretch here, comparatively speaking, 5-4-1 and one in their last 10. That's not so bad. But it's going to be an interesting measure because while you can make a case why they would lose to Carolina or Pittsburgh, it's going to be interesting to see just how much defense and the strong goaltending they've got does stand up in the face of an onslaught of offense that they might face in that first round. I mean, you could argue that the Islanders increased defensive awareness prowess is going to set them up for something great in the second season. Who knows? Exactly. I mean, for, for, for all I'm saying about why I might pick Carolina or Pittsburgh to win, you could you easily make around. an argument against, uh, or sorry, for the Islanders to right. win that. So I might look like a fool by not picking them because everything they've done this year has been over and above beyond expectations. And that might fall through the playoffs. It's just, you can kind of see now a way where they might end up losing in that first round. All right. Those are the teams that have punched their tickets. When we come back, we'll talk about the clubs that are just hoping to not get caught without a seat. When the music stops here, they are scrambling for, Their entry into the big 
Spring Dance, Carolina, Pittsburgh, Columbus, Montreal, four teams, and it really seems like only three spots. We will break it down when we return on Tape to Tape. Looking to stream over 500 NHL games blackout free? Sportsnet Now is the product for you. Available to anyone over the internet, Sportsnet Now gives you 24-7 access to Sportsnet's channels, including content not available on TV. You can stream on the go or at home on your big screen from the most popular devices, including smartphones and tablets, Apple TV, Xbox, PlayStation, and Chromecast. Sign up for as long as you want and cancel whenever you'd like. You can also stream the NBA, MLB, Premier League, all your favorite Sportsnet original programming, and more. Visit snnow.ca for more details. Welcome back to Tape to Tape. Rory, there are some teams sweating it out in the Eastern Conference playoff chase, but I have to think the greasiest palms are in Columbus, right? Mm -hmm. This team that, you know, to much acclaim, including the people on this podcast, you know, lots of praise for Yarmo Kekalainen saying the hell with it. Here are my chips. Let's get them in the middle. Matt Duchesne, Ryan Dezingle. Hey, we heard they were even at some point seeing if they could get all the senators yeah. <laughs> from Ottawa, even some minor moves to get Adam McQuaid, depth D Keith Kincaid in the crease. So far, not great returns. They are on the outside looking in by a couple points with a huge home and home uh, with Pittsburgh. The first one will already be in the books when people are hearing this. The next one is on Saturday. What do you think of the all-in Blue Jackets? Are they going to be able to get it done when it uh, when push comes to shove? Well, I think everybody who isn't the fan of a team competing with Columbus for a playoff spot is rooting for the blue jackets to get in. Right. You don't we'll, want we'll circle back to who's okay. rooting the, the rooting interest, but yeah. yes, I know what you're saying. Yeah. You want this team that really threw caution in the wind for it to pay off for them. And so far Adam McQuaid has been a healthy scratch Two of the games, two of the five games played since the trade deadline. Probably Matt, not a huge surprise, but no, like, you no, know. but, but you know, he, you were hoping he was not going to be scratched that sure. quickly. I don't think, um, you know, there's been one primary assist put up between Dezingle and Duchesne and it came from Dezingle. Um, I, I just wonder if it's a case of, you know, players getting used to the new system. And, and remember, I think it's key to remember that Duchesne and Dezingle specifically are coming from a team that the storyline at the beginning of the season for them was, oh my goodness, look at this. Guy Boucher's team is playing wide open, yes. no defense they're gonna hockey. They're going to outscore people. Yeah, they're going to outscore people and they're going to be exciting to watch and whenever. And now you're leaving that and being dropped right into a John Tortorella system, right into the middle of a very heated playoff race. And all of a sudden... Defense is a much higher responsibility than it was before for you. And you've got to balance that with still being able to score goals, create points at the other end. Duchesne has been put in a very uh, favorable position alongside Atkinson and Panarin for the most part, and it hasn't really paid off yet. So I looked back at, at when he first got to Ottawa and it was the first nine games, I believe it was. He didn't have a point, and he went like minus 11 over that span. Right. So it started very slowly for him. And then he started, I think it was five points in the next nine games after that. 
And we know the story of his Ottawa Senators career was very successful for him ever since then. The problem is, obviously, time is not an ally of the Columbus Blue Jackets right now. Is there enough racetrack here, enough runway? And and we're going to see, like you said, by the time this podcast comes out, that first game against Pittsburgh will have been played, but we do know that Bobrovsky is going to be a healthy scratch, not even on the bench for that. I thought it was a little curious that it's not Keith Kincaid getting the start, given that he's beat Pittsburgh three out of the four games he's played against them this year. Granted, the last time he played them was his last start, and he allowed four goals against them, so maybe there's something there. But after the home-and-home against Pittsburgh, you got the New York Islanders, you got the Boston Bruins, you got the Carolina Hurricanes, you got the Boston Bruins again, and then you got the Calgary Flames. So that's a really tough stretch coming up for the Columbus Blue Jackets. And it it starts now against Pittsburgh. These are must-win games against a team you haven't beaten since February of 2017. Dominated you in the playoffs a couple of years ago, and you're starting your backup goalie. These guys got to get going. Bobrovsky's got to really go on a hot streak here for them to get to the playoffs because while Columbus is struggling, you know, Pittsburgh seems to be finding their legs a little bit. As we noted earlier, Carolina is going. Montreal's got Carey Price, so, you know, they go as far as he goes. It's just they got to start stringing some of these wins, and even one of the wins they got, a 2-1 shootout win against New Jersey, a team that didn't have Taylor Hall, Nico Hischier, Kyle Palmieri, a lot of injuries, and you got 18 shots against them. Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely one where they said, you know, start the car and let's get out of here with our two points. Uh, We'll see if, as you mentioned, time uh, not the friend of the Blue Jackets. As far as the Carolina Hurricanes go, the seeds of the Canes' success have actually been sown a while ago, both in terms of, I don't know how many years now it's been that they've sort of been an analytics darling. The underlying numbers for Carolina long been pretty good. But this season alone, they have been a good team for the better part of two months, more than two months, in fact, since December 31st, including uh, a game played that night and won by the Hurricanes over the Philadelphia Flyers. They're 21-6-2 in their last, well, what would that be, 29 games. 21-6-2 clearly one of the best teams in the league since the calendar has flipped to 2019. I mean, there's a variety of reasons that a lot of people are kind of pulling for this team too. Mm -hmm. the bunch of jerks, right? Yeah. I want to see this storm surge in the playoffs. I want to see what they do in the playoffs for sure. Um, You know, further to your point, I think in that time, like Sebastian Ajo has really stepped up. He's a top five point getter, top four point getter in the NHL since the calendar flipped to 2019. So he's been a big part of that. I think the trade for Nino Niederreiter was massive for Huge them. Win. He's been scoring a pile of goals. And and, and I think the common denominator beyond but behind all of this, and specifically with Niederreiter, is he's a guy that gets his goals like right from the front of the net in the high-quality areas. And while Carolina was a good Corsi team over the last number of years, they had a lot of shots for, they were pretty decent defensively too, a lot of the shots they got were coming from the outside. They weren't getting a lot of those high-quality chances, and you can see an uptick in that this season, and that has been a direct contributor to why all of a sudden the Carolina Hurricanes are scoring 3.7 goals per game over this this stretch of theirs. So they're getting getting the high-quality chances. The goals are finally starting to come for them, and surprise, surprise, Curtis McElhaney, Peter Morazic have been doing a really good job for them in net, too. Morazic, it was interesting... The story that came out this week that, you know, he was talking to Carolina GM Don Waddell and said he would take 
the whatever it is, 1.5 cheap, cheap contract for one year that, that he took with that team and his agent talked to Don Waddell after that. And, and Waddell told him that they had come to a disagreement. His agent's like, no, 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 no. He's not taking that. And he calls Mrazic back. And then he calls Waddell back after that and says, okay, we'll we're, take we're it. signing. He wanted to prove it. He wanted a chance to get the games and, and to show that he's still an NHL goalie. And, and to his credit, he's done that. And I think he's going to earn some kind of a contract with somebody else next year. Not a number one job by any sure. measure, but definitely is part of a tandem. And that all together, those were the two major reasons why Carolina was held back in the past. Not enough goals, not good enough goaltending with Cam Ward. And at the same time, those problems have been fixed. And all of a sudden you've got a team that really looks like it's going to hit the playoffs on a high and that might be interesting come playoff time. They might really be able to give somebody a hard time for one or even two I rounds. I can't imagine you'd be excited to see Carolina coming. No, no, yeah. it's for the same reason. It's the exact same reason you don't want to see the St. Louis Blues, right? Like they weren't scoring goals at the start of the season. And all of a sudden, Vladimir Tarasenko is starting to yeah. score a pile of goals. The defense is coming around. Jordan Binnington comes on the scene. And you're getting stable goaltending. The same reasons that you don't want to see the St. Louis Blues in the first round or at any point in the Stanley Cup playoffs is the reason why you don't want to see the Hurricanes. So let's work through this you mentioned oh everyone's getting behind the blue jackets because they went all in you want to see the storm surge in the playoffs (laughs) i've been doing the mental math here and i thought and you know wearing my just general hockey fan hockey media hat it is easy to get behind columbus it is easy to get behind carolina i mean carolina you know those fans haven't seen playoff hockey in a decade and then you have the pittsburgh penguins with Sidney crosby and evgeny malkin have to believe that a lot of people just for the sort of wild card factor, no pun intended, would like to see Pittsburgh get in. There's probably no love left over for the poor Montreal Canadiens that I support, despite them being an amazing Cinderella story. So I was thinking in my own head, I was like, well, I want Montreal to get in. Who do I not want to get in then? I have to say it's probably <laughs> Pittsburgh. I've seen that story. Yeah. I've seen that one. Yep. Like, let's give the spot to Carolina. Let's give the spot to Columbus. But you know what? They're also the last team I'm going to bet my nickel against because you have to think they're going to find a way, especially with Sidney Crosby scoring two points a game the past 10 games. Yeah, Crosby's been a monster. I think Evgeny Malkin is starting to turn a little bit of a corner. He's been frustrated with his season. Phil Kessel hasn't scored a goal in, I think it's 16 games now or whatever. And you got to think that's going to start to, that dam is going to break at some point. And when it does, it's going to probably break it. It's going to lead to a Eight flood in of five. Goals. Exactly. And then, then the Pittsburgh Penguins kind of become the Pittsburgh Penguins again. Now there is a little bit of a concern around Matt Murray's play too. So whether or not that's something that they can figure out and he can, he can kind of correct before the playoffs or before they're eliminated. We'll see. But that's the that's the team that I think if you're not a Pittsburgh Penguins fan, you're probably hoping that's the team that misses out. You want the feel good stories to get in there, but they're still the Pittsburgh Penguins and this is still a star driven center driven league and that's where their fundamental strengths lie. So it's really hard to see them missing out. And again, these these couple of games right now against the Columbus Blue Jackets are going to go a long way, I think, in really setting the tone for that race over the next couple of weeks. But, you know, they're the team you want out, but they're not the team that you're betting on finishing out. No, absolutely. Well, I I mean, I would think a lot of general fans too, unless you're the Tampa Bay Lightning and you're sitting there going, please don't give us Sidney Crosby in the first round. But, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people, you know, because Sid is Sid and, and Malkin is Malkin, they'd like to see that team in the mix. But you're right, there is some potential for 
fatigue there, but certainly still the toughest one uh, to bet against. I don't know. Maybe Montreal is the easiest one to bet against, but I'll make this case for the Canadians. You know what? They've been pretty consistent all year. They're not Mm -hmm. a team that's, you know, ripped off eight wins in a row and accumulated uh, a big chunk of points and has slowly seen it fritter away. Fritter away, that is. They have good underlying numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, they did a lot of this in the beginning of the season. They laid a, a good foundation without Shea Weber when Carey Price wasn't himself. So as much as the pessimist in me thinks they'll find a way to not quite make it in as... Uh, Columbus maybe inevitably gets its act together. You know, the Canadians are on the West Coast right now. They've already got one win in the books. They've basically got a scheduled L Thursday night in San Jose, but uh, we'll see. We don't know the result of that game. Our listeners do. And then they've got a game Friday night in Anaheim. If they can come back from California with even three of six points, you know, they have a pretty good stretch the rest of the way. You're looking at home games against Detroit, against Chicago, Buffalo, Florida, teams that are not in the playoffs. I mean, you can play the game forever of who do you want to play this time of year? The loosey-goosey don't care team or the team that's good but is already looking two weeks ahead. Talk amongst yourselves. But, you know, the way Price has turned it around, if they could ever get anything going from that power play, uh, just the way Montreal hasn't been up and down, the way they've been consistent, I think that's the best case to say they'll end up carrying this thing through and actually getting in. I want them in just because there's nothing like the playoff atmosphere of a Montreal Canadian, uh, uh, the atmosphere of a playoff home game for the Montreal Canadians. And it just comes through the TV at you if you're watching it at home. But I also want to see how Jesperi Kakanyemi does in the playoffs because he's had a really good season. So like, what do you make of the healthy scratches? Claude Julian has said it's because he's, you know, the season is starting to wear on him. And I think that's a very real factor for a lot of these guys that are coming over for the first time. The NHL season is a grind. Have you noticed a downtick in his play? Do you think there's something to that? You know, what's interesting about him is for as much as there is much admiration for the way he's played and uh, he's been extremely lauded. You have to remember, this is a guy whose game does not really pop the way we were talking about with Tavares and Bergeron. And again, I say this as a good thing. Like the thing that you really notice when you watch him game after game is man, he is a smart player. His passes connect, but like, I don't think he has a goal on the road this year, right? We're talking about someone who's going to finish with, you know, a pretty modest amount of, of goals and points. So I definitely think it's a decision you can justify, especially when the guy who goes into the lineup for him, Jordan wheel scores in his first game. I also think there's a sense that after the all-star break, he came out and looked really good. And he did actually the, the, the best of his goals, the easiest to appreciate of his play came right after the all-star break when he had a couple nice goals on their Super Bowl weekend home games, the afternoon games they always play. So I think what they're probably hoping is a little reset for him and then let him go the last 10 games of the year. That's what I would think. But I'm not someone who's going to, you know, cry and scream about how can you <laughs> scratch this kid who's had this uh, impressive season? Yes, it has been impressive. He's the youngest player in the league. But let's keep it in perspective. He's still a third-line guy right. who is by no means going out there and dominating, you know? This is this is the case where I would love to see the NHL playoff format be you finish first, you get first choice of who you play. Yeah, because sure. I bet you Montreal would be the first choice for a lot of these teams, but they might be 
they might be the team that would burn you just well, because of Carey Price. And right? that, you know, people have long said, well, Carey Price is the kind of guy who can win you a Stanley Cup on his own. Newsflash, there's no goalie who can win you a Stanley Cup on his own. And I blame Patrick Waugh for this because the, <laughs> the mythology is he did that in 93. It was all Patrick Waugh. That team won 10 overtime games in a row, which is never going to happen again. Patrick Waugh was unbelievable, but it, it was a better team than people realize. A goalie can't win four series, but he can win one. And you're right. <laughs> that is why I do think, uh, as John Cooper alluded to, the guy who's going to be the top seed, the coach of the Lightning, that's why you would get a little nervous about the Habs. All right, before we go, gun to your head. Of the four, which one are you going to cross off as not getting in? It's really sad for me to say, um, but the way things are trending... Um, and the schedule coming up, I don't think Columbus is going to get yeah, in. Columbus is the one, too. Not just because it, by the numbers right now, they have the toughest case. I feel like there's some sort of narrative voodoo going on here where the poor team that loaded up, it's going to end yeah. up not being enough, <laughs> and we'll see what happens in the offseason. But that's probably the one uh, I would scratch as well. Uh, next week, Rory, we will do, as uh, you might expect, listeners, uh, the Western Conference version yes. of this. We'll look at the teams that uh, have locked down spots and then the clubs also still slugging it out. Crazy to say there will only be about probably 10, 9, 10 games left for teams at it. that point. Uh, before we run, quick word of respect to uh, Ted Lindsay. I mean, I don't think we can add anything to the conversation, but I will say I remember seeing him at the Hall of Fame, I think when um, they renamed the Lester Pearson Trophy, the, the Ted Lindsay Award, and he was probably in his early 80s even at that point, and I swear to God, I looked at that wiry dude and was like, you wouldn't even mess with him now. Like, yes. my God, could that man and those guys back in the day handle their own business, and he was at the top of the list, so... Uh, much respect for a guy who, you know, in addition to everything else he did, just uh, the spirit he brought every night. Um, that's really why you tune into sports. So um, much respect and love to uh, the Lindsay family and his greater Red Wings family and the, and the whole hockey world, really uh, paying attention to a guy who did a lot for uh, the league, the NHLPA specifically. All right. That is all the time we have for you this week on tape to tape. Follow Rory on Twitter at Rory Boylan. Myself at Dixon on Sports. Check us out on Sportsnet. Find us in iTunes and come back next week for more glass rattling hockey action on Tape to Tape. 